to Coin DMZ. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California, and I'm joined by Mr. William Quigley, who's actually sitting right next to me. Hey, William, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Ken. Get in that microphone. Get into that microphone. Yes. Hey, so, uh, William, most people know that you're a form. Are you a recovering venture capitalist, or are you still a VC? Uh, I try not to tell people I'm a VC. Really? Why not? Because then they pitch me on deals. Everything's right? pitched still. Yeah, and I'm still too doing focused it. on one thing. But yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. you still have a fund. You know, yeah, you, you yeah, fund. yeah. Clearstone Ventures is one of them. Yeah, yeah, and the crypto fund. Crypto fund. Yeah. A traditional venture fund goes for how long? Uh, it goes for a very, very long time. It's one of those things that no one tells you when you start a early stage venture fund. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're 10-year funds, so you have an agreement with the limited partners to keep their money for 10 years. Uh, and then you might say, and we might need an extension of one year or two years, but that's fantasy. I mean, if you're an early-stage venture investor, you know, you might have companies that still are not liquid after 15 years, 16 years. And so the question is, what do you do with those companies? Well, what do you do with those companies? Uh, you, you basically just keep, like, following them and... Uh, I'll let you know in 10 years what ultimately you do. It's frustrating, uh, right? Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say frustrating. It's just it's a curious thing. There are, which which is no surprise, there are companies that uh, are uh, cash flow positive, mm -hmm. that uh, employ a group of people, that you know provide a service to consumers or to enterprises, but that don't have a way to exit, right? Well, you can call them cash flowing businesses or lifestyle businesses, but you, you can't, they're, maybe they're not growing very fast or they're in an out of favor sector, so no one will acquire them. They're too small to go public. So what do they do? Well, you're not going to shut them down because they do make money and they employ people and they provide a service. So you just sort of have to wait it out. But those companies, when you invested in them, you thought there was a different Of course, plan. of course. And some would say, I wouldn't say this, but some would say, Best if you can't get an exit that the companies sort of just disappear, right? It just goes away. Yeah, because uh, at some point, you know, you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to say, all right, we've 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 been doing this now for 17 years. We have five companies that, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be around for a while. What do you do? Your limited partners don't want shares in private companies that they can't do anything with. Yeah, because you can't share revenue. No, no, it's only on that exit or they have to purchase yeah. the equity back. Yeah. Now they could potentially, if they had enough cash, they could buy out the original shareholders. It's possible. But yeah, so that that is why uh, uh, technically you could say the funds are 10 year funds or 11 year funds or 12 year funds, but they can be 20 year funds. And in most funds, it's a certain allocation of money and that's all utilized on as many companies as you can invest in with that amount of money? Or do you say, we're only going to have 20 companies in this? Yeah, it's more the latter. It is. Yeah, because, you know, that's the thing about venture. It's uh, it's not scalable. So you're doing early stage. They require a lot of work. You do follow-on financing. You got to turn over the management team two, three times. You got So you got to recruit. You what, Whatever else you have to do, you sit in the board. Uh, well, you can't do that with 100 companies. Mm -hmm. So you might have three or four partners. Each partner manages five or six, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, that's it. So um, uh, that's why venture capital is a cottage industry. That's why when you look at the amount of capital that goes into venture capital, it's infinitesimal compared to like hedge funds or real estate or bonds or commodities. 
Uh, it's just tiny because it, it takes so much work and, you know, small companies don't require that much money. And if I was a startup, I've raised some, let's say a million, I'm yeah. going to go after another big chunk of money. Do I still knock on VC's doors? Yeah. So, I mean, things have changed a little. Uh, like when I started out in venture capital, we would invest in uh, ideas. You know, we were early stage venture capital, so we'd invest in ideas. Well, the irony is you were with Idea Lab, so. Yeah. And we were, yeah. So we were in an incubator too. So we would just incubate deals. And then it became, well, you know, how about you've taken a little bit of seed money? And so it has changed radically, right? For a lot of reasons I won't go into, but. Uh, Nowadays, uh, no venture capitalists can afford to invest in an idea. You know, I mean, you can give me an example where they did, but for the most part, they're investing in growth, right? Which was the, the realm of late stage funds when I was a young venture capitalist. You know, you, when you were starting to really wind it up, that's when you would start to raise uh, like mezzanine capital or something right before an IPO. Nowadays, most VCs, you know, they sit there and they have a list. Okay, uh, like, is your, you know, uh, technology patented? Uh, how many customers you have? What's your revenue run rate? Uh, how many employees? How much of your management team is filled out? Bam, yeah, bam, bam. it's a formula, but it's also, you're like, you ain't doing that on a hundred grand, right? So you have clearly raised money from other sources. It might be like AngelList, it might be crowdfunder deals, it might be money from the founders who maybe made some money before, whatever. But uh, yeah, venture is different now. Venture capitalists figured out, took them a long, long time, but everybody figured out, you know what, much easier to invest in growth than in a raw idea that may or may not ever turn out. All right, so William's joining me, but it's not just you and I. We have a live audience. Everyone say hello. Come on, yeah, that's here. All right, so William, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about what's going on with the crypto, with ICOs, IP, whatever they are. Yeah. Whatever they, so as we dive into this, if you look at the amount of money in the world, there's approximately 215 trillion dollars in money. Okay. And when you say money, you mean like value, wealth, right? It's me typing something in Google. That's yeah, what I told Yeah, me, it's okay? wealth. It's the first thing that pops up. Okay, yeah. whatever that's Publicly traded companies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And if you look at, uh, if, if you the United States wanted to buy Canada, according to Google, again, it would cost $2.2 trillion to buy Canada. It's pretty much on the cheap, right? That's pretty cheap. Yeah. It's, yeah. And if with that Groupon I got the other day, you can get it really cheap. <laughs> If you look at 2.2 trillion to buy an entire country, yeah. If you look at a company like Facebook, who's got over what about two billion users, yep. two billion users, if they could adopt a currency and get 50% of their users to use it, mm -hmm. they theoretically can buy Canada in a few years. Could very they? easily. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this. We've heard about this popping up. It started a couple of months ago. You and I, when we started the show a year and a half ago. Facebook didn't want to have anything to do with crypto. Nope, they banned it. Yeah. They wouldn't allow you to advertise. They wouldn't even talk about it. And all of a sudden, we slowly saw them talk about blockchain. We saw slowly saw them saying, you know, we need to dive in this a little more. Now they they went in to the deep end. Yeah, they? because they figured out the unbelievable power of a stablecoin. Okay. No, it's just it's just incredible what you can do with the stablecoin. And so they figured it out, and then they were like, wow, we have to have one of these. The name is. Libra coin. Why is it called that? That I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't. I know. asked you a question. You know the answer. Yeah, to it. I don't know why it's called Libra coin. It could okay. be because my sign is Libra. Okay, but I doubt it. It's probably not uh, that. Yeah, so, I don't know why. And what is the premise of the Libra coin? Is it kind of like what Microsoft did with the Xbox uh, credit card? You could actually buy some Xbox tokens. You so I, it's funny because I, I of course, uh, I know a lot about stable coins, right? So I, I, I'm like, oh, wow, I wonder how much the team understands how valuable having a stable coin is. I think it's possible, it's possible that they've gone uh, you know, so deep and said, wow, this is really, really great, but you can go really, really deep and the benefits of stable coins just keep paying you, right? So it's, it's a crazy thing. When you say stable coin, by the way, are you saying a traditional currency type coin? A, it's a cryptocurrency backed by something that causes that currency to be stable in price. So Tether, Tether which you created. Yeah. Tether is backed by a dollar. Mm -hmm. So uh, for uh, various reasons, therefore it trades at a dollar, thereabouts, right? So uh, you, you, for some people, by the way, they would say, uh, that's great. I like the fact that it's stable. Of course, what attracts many people to crypto is the fact that it's not stable, right? And the instability provides for great opportunities to make, to make money. So, but for certain things, like a payment token, stability is really great, Absolutely. right? And um, I, I can see as I've read the, the LibraCoin, Facebook stablecoin white paper, and then I've listened to their team talk about it, I think they've got a kind of a, maybe a decent understanding of the value of this, but they haven't really fully appreciated how valuable it is. What's it peg to? a basket of currencies, okay. right? So it's not just the US dollar. And that makes sense because Facebook is uh, overwhelmingly a like a, a non-US platform, right? They might have 300 million or whatever it is US people, but they have a billion seven non-US people. And um, uh, cross-border commerce is the fastest growing segment of global commerce and digital cross-border commerce is the fastest growing segment of cross-border commerce. And you're in an $80 trillion global economy. There's a lot to be made from that. And the, one of the biggest friction points in cross-border commerce is payments. And it's, it's fascinating One of the reasons why you created WAX. Yeah, and Tether in particular, because uh, what everybody focuses on with, um, with payments, particularly cross-border payments, is they focus on the stipulated fees, right? So it's like, oh, I gotta pay this like interchange fee and this cross-border fee and all the other fees you pay. If you're, you know, PayPal-ing uh, somebody money in the UK, you get slapped with the number of fees and, and whatever. And, and that is just a sideshow. That's to distract us, because that's profitable, but it ain't nothing compared to the real honeypot, which is currency conversion, the exchange rates. And this area is buried. It's buried so deep, you'll never find it in companies. How much are they making off of us when it comes to currency conversion? Well, I ran some numbers when we did Tether, and uh, I Again, thought- to the dollar. Yes, yes, it, we took, we took uh, uh, something called MasterCoin, and which was uh, like a really amazing new coin. And we, uh, um, it was the first ICO, the first coin that had um, 
had an intelligent layer built on it, a smart contract, and we said, well, what if we issued some master coins that were backed by a dollar, and now there's no volatility, and now if you want to do cross-border payments, and anyone who's tried to just send a stupid wire you know, somewhere, it's expensive and it's slow. So um, <clears throat> it was not an immediate hit, even though to us it seemed incredibly compelling. I will say it took us about a year of like knocking on doors, talking to crypto exchanges, talking to people, and just saying, this is so much better. And, and typically what I would hear was, well, what did you do? Well, we tokenized a dollar. So you digitize a dollar. Dollars are already digitized. What, what's the value of that? And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, man. You, you don't know anything about payments. <laughs> what? No, try to get your dollar from point A to point B at the speed of light. It's impossible. Do you know, uh, other than Tether at the time, there was, uh, uh, there was no way in the world to send someone a payment cross-border instantly. To this day, there is no way in the world to send a payment to somebody cross-border instantly. The closest you can get is to have a suitcase full of cash and hop on a plane and cross-border. It takes days. Now you're gonna say, no, I sent a wire and it went there. No, it didn't go there in days. Man, that shit's taken many days. They pretend that they gave it to you. They say, oh, you acted like you sent us this, and we'll pretend that you did, but you didn't send it to us. This thing has 10 hops. It's got to go through federal clearinghouses and, and SWIFT and SEPA and ACH and, you know, blah, 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 14 different banks, and eventually gets to you, right? But they kind of pretend that, well, you probably have it. They might even let you have a little piece of it because they assume, well, you know, uh, it's probably going to come because you're a reliable guy and it came from a reliable bank. But the truth is, the only way you can send somebody a payment cross-border instantly in the world is with the crypto. And if you want it to be stable so that it doesn't go up and down, it's, it's Tether, right, today. So um, here's the thing. Uh, 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 Facebook makes 50-plus billion a year right now in advertising. Uh, what do you sell when you sell advertising? You sell people's identities. You, you sell their habits, their information. And, you know, they've gotten some heat for that. So... They're like, what else could we do? Well, we could be a giant platform for allowing people to do either digital commerce or other forms of commerce. That's great. Well, what's the biggest stumbling block there? Payments. Think, right? It's a nightmare. So they have now got their own captive currency, if, they, if they're able to do this. Uh, it'll be instant settlement. And here's the thing. When you are in, let's say, outside of yen uh, and maybe RMB, uh, euro, uh, to the dollar. Outside of those currencies, man, you are getting raped on exchange rate fees. I mean, we're talking, it could be 25%, right? So, and remember, there's how many countries in this world? There's a lot of countries. There's a lot of currencies. So the notion of conducting global commerce with a single unit of value Hard. where there is no exchange rate, so what's that worth? Well, I did some back of the envelope five years ago because I was trying to figure out what's the business case for Tether. And by my sloppy math, there's an $80 trillion global economy. I came up with $750 billion per year. And by the way, that's not revenue. That is pure profit. That is currency conversion theft. You want a euro, I have a dollar, I take my VIG. And who is it who's taking this VIG? It's government monopolies, right? Because you can't just exchange currency. In every country in the world, that is 
that is a privilege of those close to the government or who've done something. You're a big bank, whatever it is. You're allowed to exchange currencies. It's some weird thing, but you have to be blessed. And so you have a monopoly, right? And the thing is, when you're buying the toaster or whatever it is, a, a new t-shirt from Italy, and that thing costs 100 USD, but it's not priced in USD, it's priced in euros, but you're not a euro trader. So you just go like, okay, what is it? Uh, okay, it's $103 and da, da, da. You pay it, you go whatever. That's what consumers do globally. So I came up and I thought, you know, I think it's about 750 billion. Now, I don't know of any industry that generates 750 billion of profit. We're not talking revenue. So I was then talking to the Ripple guys, uh, XRP. They did an analysis and they said, oh no, you're wrong. And the Ripple does, uh, they're like a replacement for the SWIFT banking network, right? So they're, they're pretty competent. It's $1.5 trillion is what they think it is. So whatever, it's somewhere between 750 billion to 1.5 trillion. Let's call it a trillion. A trillion dollars a year? Profit. A profit captured by people who aren't us. We're not allowed to capture that. There are special people who get to capture that. So now imagine you have a platform with 30% of humanity on it. And you're like, well, what if I create my own thing and there's no currency conversion? Holy shit, right? So. You wonder why Congress very quickly said, we need to have hearings on what you're gonna do, Facebook. I think that was part of it. It's like, we don't fully understand this thing, but this doesn't sound good. You know, and- uh, So who should be fearful of this? It should be governments, just the big governments right now? I think if I were, you know, if you're making a lot of money on deceiving people about currency conversion rates, and when you think about it, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, I'm sure some really smart economists type could really help me understand why does there have to be this, I get that there's a conversion, I get that, but why is there always this hidden tax too, right? So that to me exists because monopolies create inefficiencies and I think there's a lot of monopolies around this because you need a license. So I think if Facebook created its own global currency, uh, man. They're gonna buy Canada. But here's what would happen. <laughs> It's, yeah, and by the way, BTC only needs to be worth $100,000 for BTC to be worth 2.1 trillion. Uh, so, you, you know, if it gets there, they, you could buy all of Canada with uh, BTC. So here's what I think. Uh, uh, the uh, stable coins are a gift that just keeps on giving. I gave you one uh, thing about it. it. There's a thousand more. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, it's instant, it's immutable, fraud, utterly goes away because nowadays, of course, it's like you've got somebody buying something from you in, a, in another country. Uh, they're like, ship it to me and I'll pay you. Yeah, you ship it, guess what? Uh, they reverse the charge or whatever, right? And you're done. There's no way to get it back. So it's immutable. Once you get the money, it's real money. And when they, when they send you a dollar, if you're the seller, you, you, uh, you know, you've got risks. When they send you a Bitcoin, you're good. So, uh, or, or a stable coin. And, and I do believe in order to conduct this global commerce, uh, many people would prefer it be stable, right? So you could say, well, can't you do Bitcoin? Bitcoin could do the same thing, but it's, a, yeah, it's, it's kind of volatile, right? So um, if, uh, here's my prediction. If uh, governments don't utterly clobber uh, Facebook, uh, this is just the beginning. 
thousands of companies are going to have their own stablecoin because it's too profitable to have it. And, and the profits are will accrue to the consumers, you know? So uh, also, can you imagine you're a, you're a business and suddenly you're like, there's a new, it's like a new country. There's a new currency in the world. You remember when the euro came around? Well, now there's this thing called LibraCoin and the fees are virtually zero and it's really fast. And you can do all kinds of interesting KYC if you want to do that, know your customer type documentation. Uh, and 30% of the world takes it. That's more than any other currency. So I believe uh, Facebook's on the right track, but obviously there's a, a lot of, of friction and, and concerns that they're going to have to address Europe and the US. William Cooley's joining us from Wax. We have an audience here. Any questions regarding Libra? Anyone out there? Let's go to Ryan back there. Yell it out, Ryan. Hey, so one, thank you for explaining this so uh, I even understand this. So you're, you're really He's a pilot. <laughs> yeah. He's a pilot. You made him understand no, it. I hit switches. I was trying to switch lines. But the one thing I'd like you to expand on is just how you tether it to a USD or a, a, a basket. Of yeah, so if you, have a, if you have a token and it's linked to something like one for one to a currency, how does that linkage work? Uh, well, you know, that's a tough one. So what we did with Tether initially is we opened up a bank account. I forget how much it was. It might have been 40 million bucks or something. And for every Tether, there was a dollar in a bank account. And by the way, the pitch to the bank was like, <laughs> you've never met a customer like us. I mean, we're going to put money in here, and it might as well be Fort Knox, baby. That money's going to stay there. This is in the, in the uh, you know, I used to be a banking auditor many years ago. In, in the vernacular of banking, we would call this a core deposit. And a core deposit is something you love. It's the deposits of, like, companies that just bank with you, and they always have a minimum amount, so you can safely loan that money out and never worry about it. So this is a core deposit. Um, and it worked perfectly well until the banks started getting pressure from governments and they started saying, well, we can't work with blockchain or crypto stuff, which sucked. And uh, so then we had to find other banks and it became a very, very big problem. Ultimately, we, we did a joint venture with a uh, Hong Kong-based uh, uh, exchange that had, uh, at the time, a stable bank account. And uh, uh, they're like, we'll handle the banking. And, and it did work for a while. And then somebody seized $850 million of their money. And uh, I think they'll get it back eventually. But getting the currency to be locked away somewhere is the, is the, is the challenge, right? Because you do need a bank that's willing to hold it. And um, uh, I suspect when I looked at uh, what Facebook was doing, and I had a little bit of resentment, I'll admit. I'm like, wow, isn't this interesting? We've been doing God's work. We created this thing called Tether. It helps humanity. By the way, uh, Tether trades five trillion US dollars annually. Five trillion, so this ain't small, right? Five trillion dollars worth of value annually under bad conditions, you know, very hard to get banking and all that, and uh, because it's bad. And then this company that told me that crypto was bad, you couldn't do advertisements on it because it must be evil, called Facebook, partners with who? Some goddamn banks, and says, let's go create a fucking crypto. And I'm like, what the hell? You guys said this was, you know, the creation of the devil, and now, not only is it okay, you're going to make your own. 
Like, what the hell? Are you crony okay capitalism? Okay. Well, here's what I would say. Uh, uh, I guess it will make it harder for uh, Visa, MasterCard, banks to say this is the work of the devil. I guess it'll be harder for them to do that. But, you know, one thing corporations have an in like an unlimited ability to be is a hypocritical, right? So I can see them saying, yes, it's evil. Uh, yes, you can't do it, but we can, right? I don't like it, but that's how it works. So had I been able to be up there when uh, David Marcus was before Congress answering to the House uh, you know, Financial Services Committee, all these questions, I, I would have loved to have been there and said, so um, what about everybody else? So, so now this stuff's okay, right? So a Visa, MasterCard, all the people, uh, PayPal. PayPal also thinks uh, crypto is evil, but PayPal's a member institution of LibreCoin. Uh, MasterCard, a member institution. Visa, member institution. So, you know, I know this is how crony capitalism works and whatever, but it still is annoying to see that uh, the, the, as a venture capitalist, I've always known this. When, uh, uh, when you're challenging, uh, you're creating a new technology, you're trying to build something, almost always you have much less money than the big competitors, you have a smaller team, you don't have as many patents, you're, you're not as good operationally, you don't have a brand, you have nothing except time to market. You're first. You're first because you saw it and you can move faster than the big lumbering guys. Apple does this right? all the time. Well, no, Apple does it too. Yeah. But I think with, with, when it comes to banking, some very large institutions can block the small businesses, which they have, they can. which has given the big companies a long, long time to be able to f eventually figure it out. So what I hope happens is Congress says, if you're going to do this Facebook you, and you're going to do this banks, you can't block other companies from doing it. And uh, if they don't, there will be thousands of companies with stable coins. So what you're saying is you need to run for Senate so you could be on the Oversight Committee. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> Another question. What do you got, Edwin? As these corporate stable coins come online, what does that do for the decentralized ecosystem? Does that just alleviate all the XRP, Litecoins, Dashes? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Of course, nobody knows. And the question is, uh, so if a bunch of corporations start issuing these things we call stable coins, uh, does that undermine this whole existing world of cryptos, right? Mm -hmm. And I would just, so no one knows. My theory is that once you get a taste of a crypto, you ain't going back to the old stuff. Nope. And I don't know anybody who's bought a, a crypto and then said, I'll just have one. Usually you're like, that looks pretty good. Maybe I should sample another and another and another. So what I would expect is you're going to try out LibreCoin. It's going to work pretty cool. And then you're going to say, I wonder how these others work. So my guess is what we'll see is uh, money flowing from those stable coins into the existing body of, of uh Cryptos. I think Facebook is at least opening up this awareness now too. So oh, I think when when when, when Facebook issued its white paper for LibraCoin, or I guess technically Facebook didn't issue it, LibraCoin Foundation or whoever it is who Facebook partnered with, because they are separate entities, uh, when they did the the white paper, I suspect uh, big corporations, particularly big consumer product corporations with lots of global consumers. Uh, I imagine senior management boards across the world were like, 
well, what's going on here and why are they doing this and should we be doing it? Yep, they're on the sidelines. Hey, let's hit a couple of quick other topics. Uh, ICO, when that popped out, was it 2014? Those were kind of getting hot, 14 and 15? Uh, I would say the first ICO technically was probably 2014 and 2014, Master, right, MasterCoin. Right. Yeah. We don't hear much about those anymore. What is now a IEO? Uh, so ICO was uh, initial coin offering. IEO is initial exchange offering. Uh, so it's an ICO, but it's it's uh, all run on one crypto exchange. The exchange markets that that token to its to its customers of the exchange, and um, the uh, exchanges, from what I've seen take a very reasonable 6%, which isn't bad. That's like an underwriting fee for, mm -hmm. you know, typical, uh, uh, like stocks. And, um, they, they do a lot of the heavy lifting that formerly the ICO companies did. Uh, the dollar amounts raised in IEOs right now are probably five to 10 million. Smaller I could amount. much smaller. I could see that going up. I could definitely see that, that going up in, in dollar amount. And, um, are they here to stay? I don't know. You know, I, there are still a lot of ICOs, by the way. There's still a lot There's of still them. There's a lot there. Much less done in the U.S., but there are. There which, are. which is the leading countries? Uh, Asia is the is ground zero for crypto. China specifically? or uh, do, You know, Korea, uh, Hong Kong, yes, China. Japan is huge. Uh, Singapore. You know, you're just ending it right there. That's, I, it. Th that's it. Yeah, right, that's right. it. William yeah. Cliff is joining us. This is a Coin DMZ episode 32. We're in front of an audience of super smart people and very handsome looking, very good looking people, except you, Bernardo. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about um, corporate uh, interest in blockchain. I'm hearing this constantly. Everybody's yep. got a blockchain strategy. We're doing blockchain. Everybody's got a blockchain strategy. Yes. Does that scare you a little? Scare me? Yeah. No, why would it scare me? Because there's other alternatives behind besides blockchain. Oh, you mean, oh, now I'm confused. Do you mean, uh, yes, there are. It's called a database. Mm -hmm. So are you saying other types of blockchains? That's right. Yeah. Because everyone thinks it's one specific term. Right, right. So block, and there may be one specific term for generic blockchain. Uh, I just think of it as a database that's distributed. That's and I all guess it that's, is. That's pretty much that's all. That's it pretty much what it is. Uh, they're basically yeah. using Ashton Tate and they're putting it on the internet, <laughs> right? Yeah, close. Uh, so what I would say is um, the blockchains that the corporations are using, and I think they'll have great use cases, uh, a lot for supply chain and whatnot, they're not decentralized in the way that we think of decentralized. Uh, from a blockchain perspective where, you know, you've got all these little miners or block producers or guilds who are running the nodes and producing stuff and being paid in form of tokens. They're centralized and underneath their own they're, Yeah, there's like like LibreCoin, right? That's so right. LibreCoin has, uh, uh, it has like, I don't know, I think it's 20 members, each of whom put in like 10 million bucks and they will validate the transactions and they're all, uh, well, they actually, they uh, uh, Libra Foundation put out a, uh, um, a, a requirements list if you wanted to be uh, a, a, the equivalent of a miner, right? And it was, um, you know, I was really, really pleased that it was, it was for the common man. So let's see. Your business should have, I think it was at least $1 billion in revenue, okay. right? Uh, I think you have to be publicly traded on a major exchange. Okay. Uh, 
let's see, you have to have, you know, been around for X number of years. Uh, when I looked at a list, I thought, well, this club, you know, doesn't include me. No. Right? This is kind of uh, does. Well, not really, yeah. right? Because uh, they don't count Bitcoin. Oh. But, but uh, I looked at it and I thought, wow. So uh, they basically, remember, one of the things that I love so much about cryptocurrency is it has made so many people who otherwise could never have captured that amount of value, couldn't have made that much money. Uh, it's made so many what I would just call ordinary people who aren't accredited investors. It's made them rich. So I like that, right? Because uh, there's uh, so many gatekeepers that keep average guys from making money. And so I like that, but but uh, Facebook doesn't share that, right? So Facebook and LibraCoin, you gotta be, you already gotta be uber rich in order to make Even more money. So before we go to a different segment where I get to have some fun with you, any other questions from the audience on anything regarding block or crypto? I can't see who is that up there. Dan. Hey Dan, what's your question? Hey, is there any update on the Mt. Gox lawsuit in oh. Japan? Or update on the Mt. Gox lawsuit. There's lots and lots of updates, but I, 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 it would take too long to go through all of them here. Uh, uh, I uh, Suffice to say that the people, by the way, for your listeners, Mt. Gox was really the first crypto exchange. Uh, it had uh, it had lots of Bitcoin in it from people who deposited Bitcoin and were trading it. And then uh, something happened, and uh, a lot of Bitcoin went missing, and uh, the exchange, you know, floundered and failed, and uh, it went into bankruptcy. Japanese bankruptcy. If 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 there is a hell, that's what it is, right? <laughs> Japanese bankruptcy. So. Um, Everyone has to kill themselves, right, at the end. So uh, they, they, uh, they wound up, uh, 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 it, it, we got out of it faster than I, th I thought. It's Leah, it went in BK in 20, I want to say 14. And uh, I think it might get out of BK in 2020, right? So that's not so bad. Um, uh, it looks like people will be given, this is the thing that kind of sucks, but it's not unique to Japan. Uh, the value of Bitcoin was like a few hundred dollars at the time it the went deposit. BK, right? Yeah. At the time it went bankrupt. And so the judge said, you know, you can have what you put in a couple of hundred bucks. You can't have your Bitcoin. You can have a couple hundred dollars, but that Bitcoin's worth 12,000 now, right? Yeah. So it does kind of suck. Now, the truth is that's generally how bankruptcies work. They value the asset at the time of the ba bankruptcy, but whatever. So, uh, at some point, uh, people will get their little money back. You'll get your money back. Oh, by the way, there was a there was a, a, a private equity fund that uh, has said it will buy the claims of people who have who had Bitcoin in Mt. Gox. It will buy them. Uh, I think it was like nine hundred dollars a coin or something. I think if you waited this long, just wait to get your you know something else. But uh, they were kind of thinking. If, uh, I guess what they're hoping is if any of that Bitcoin is ever uncovered or they can sue the original owner of Mt. Gox and get some of that back, it would be, you know, it'd be worth at least 900 bucks. Other question. Right back there, Alex. So I just have some information on the name Libra. It means pound in Spanish. The word pound. Oh. And it's also the root for the word freedom in Latin. Pound freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Pound freedom. All so right. it's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good, it's a good sign. <laughs> Basically, what they're saying is there is no freedom when you use Libra. Pound that freedom. What else we got? Anyone else? John. 
Yeah, so future state, you've got corporations that have all built their own crypto, and now my corporation wants to pay another corporation. How do you see that transfer happening? Would you see exchanges expanding out to handle all these corporate cryptos or some other mechanism? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, look, at there will never be a shortage of a middleman who will agree to take this for that, right? So never. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest markets in the financial markets is Forex, foreign exchange. So, uh, yeah, if there's a bunch of, of uh, corporations with their own little settlement tokens, uh, there's going to be an infinite number of people who are willing at very low prices to exchange, you know, Sony Corporation's crypto for Facebook's crypto. You know? it'll, it'll work, I think, just fine. Who is that back there? Nor. Nor, what do you got? So who regulates Libra? Who regulates Libra? Uh, who regulates Libra? Let's make it easier. Who in the goddamn world will not be regulating Libra, right? Who? <laughs> I, I, I can't even fathom how many regulators are going to, quote, regulate Libra. It'll be infinite. Like, it's like a bank. It's, it, it's yeah. I mean, hopefully they can just, you know, Get figure out how to work through the regulation that will be imposed on them. Edwin. It seems like the market has matured this time around, this bull market. Do you see an extinction event happening for altcoins and more challenges? I think there will always be uh, extinction events for either, you know, companies or uh, currencies, cryptos. So, yes. Uh, will it be like the great die-off of 2014, 2015? I doubt it, mainly because at the time, uh, those tokens were... Uh, had very little funding behind them, uh, and they were more just, uh, they were sort of uh, little uh, projects for people to, to experiment with, versus now, you know, there's, uh, I mean, the biggest crypto in 2014, you know, Bitcoin had maybe a 700 million market cap, uh, and now it's, you know, whatever Bitcoin is, 200 billion or whatever, uh, and there are many, many, many cryptos with multi-billion dollar market caps. So there will be some that go away. And when we talk about extinctions or die-offs, the funny thing about blockchain-based tokens is they never die, right? They're all there. They're like little cockroaches. So what happens is the management team or the people who are building them run out of money. They go away. They put all of the code into GitHub if it's not already there. And they send out a tweet and they say, hey, we're out of money. We got to go get a job. Anyone want to maintain this? And then um, an endless number of people. I've known projects that are, they're on their fourth team. That, you know, the project goes a little way. They go, okay, we're done with this. And then another and another. So um, uh, I suspect even though these things might not have a lot of funding, uh, they'll still be around. And people will trade them. They'll trade them just for trading's sake. For the heck of it. Here. Um, I have some tether, by the way. Which is, oh, good. You know, but... You mentioned Asia being really crypto friendly, and I have a friend who lives in Malaysia. He runs a business out of there. He was showing me how everything he does is in WhatsApp. He makes doctor's appointments. He pays the doctor through WhatsApp. He sends texts to order food, orders cabs. Everything is all within WhatsApp. And he said the whole country does that. Yeah, and who owns WhatsApp? Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So I think nineteen billion dollars. Is what it cost them, and I think it was a damn good deal if you start looking at it now. Yes, because if you look at the other apps like uh, WeChat. Line WeChat. and WeChat and uh, QQ, uh, you've got uh, these things have basically become com commerce hubs. Absolutely. And uh, you know, WePay and Alipay 
are the two biggest payment methods in China, right? So it, it, if anything, uh, WhatsApp should have moved faster in this area. Valid point. They still have a lot more room to grow too. They really do. You start to look at WhatsApp. Let's go over here, Jeff. So 15 years from now, this is all reality. What happens on the paycheck level and on the paycheck loan level? There's the average person. The how will people be paid? As in salaries. Oh, uh, with all these different coins. Uh, well, Facebook has said that it will allow its employees to be paid, you know, their salary in LibraCoin. And I suspect uh, lots of people would be happy to do it. In the crypto space, it's quite common for people working in the crypto space to be paid in, in the form of cryptos. So, yeah, uh, I expect... Uh, Lots more companies will be paying people that way simply because it's way cheaper than having a bank account. And if it's kept by lots of people, if it's, if it's accepted by lots of people, why not have it? There you go. Right. But my point was that if there's so many coins out there, so many ways. How do you determine which one? Yeah, your company pays you in this. You have to go pay an exchange rate now to, to get money. Do you ever use a credit card? Seriously. You ever use a credit card? What do you pay? What do I pay? Yeah, what do you pay? You say it'll work like credit cards. I hope not. I hope it's much cheaper. But, you know, somebody would say between the issuing bank, the, um, the interchange fee, uh, the gateway provider fee, uh, the fee paid to the guys who, who uh, determine if there's fraud, you know, there's 10 intermediaries in payments. Uh, whatever that winds up being, three, three and a half percent of the total transaction, uh, you, the consumer, are definitely paying that, right? Uh, you're definitely paying that. Uh, you might not, it may not look like it, but you're paying it. So um, what I would hope is that uh, a lot of those ancient 20th century outdated technologies uh, and value extractors disappear, and uh, maybe the net-net you're paying uh, 50 basis points. Maybe you're paying a percent, but it's still gonna be fractions of this system that's in place now because there's so many people taking out of the payment flow. It's, it's really staggering when you, when you dive into it, you know, in, in the payment flows, how many people are in there grabbing money? And uh, it's just invisible to us. Our last question, Ted, go ahead. So we're talking about the current and the future and all this very complicated, at least to me as an applicant in Ethiopian, it's a bit complicated thing that you're talking about. In Africa alone, we have 1.2 billion people with trillions and trillions of dollars of transaction going through all over the world. Where do you see us getting into this particular thing that you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, I don't know how well the audience will hear it on the radio. But, so you're but, basically asking emerging markets, how are emerging markets going to get Yeah, but Africa in particular. Africa, Africa yeah. of course, now, you know, they really started this whole digital currency within PESA out of Kenya. They were really the first to test this concept, okay? That's right. And it, we've seen now countries in Africa saying, we're going to try our own tokens, countries themselves. But how can... Oh, yeah, so Africa, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it's, the it's it's like uh, GDP growth rates are through the roof, right? In Africa, six percent, seven percent, eight percent. I mean, you know, among so many countries in Africa, the, the, it's a smaller base, right, than than it is in some of the West. But but the growth rates are are very very fast. Lots of cross border commerce. So uh, and like 
what we saw happen in India with telecom, they didn't have all the stranded wires, so they could leapfrog to wireless. I foresee lots of countries in Africa becoming friendly to the concepts of crypto. All right. Uh, so let's do this. William answered all the questions. It's time for us to relax, have a little fun. And all I'm going to ask, and I know you can't hear this, but music is playing right now because I'm going to edit it in. And this is our time to really test your knowledge. I mean, you can come out like a sharp guy, but this is all book smart stuff. Now I'm going to ask you practical sense stuff. And that is, I'm going to name a series of coins or tokens, and you got to tell me which one's real out of them. All right, you ready? I used to do very bad you, 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 And I'm hoping you will continue with that. Okay, out of the three, which one is real? There's one called the Kodak coin, Putin Classic, or the Kosher coin. Which one's real? Which one's real? I think, isn't Kodak do one? So Kodak coin's real. You're awesome, because you continue with your losing streak. What? The Putin Classic is the real one of the but two. But didn't Kodak have a... But it wasn't called the Kodak coin, okay? Oh, that's All a trick right. question. Here's the next one. We have the Bitcoin. We have the brisket token, and we have cat coins. Cat coins? Which one's gonna be real out of the three? Again, the Bitcoin, the brisket token, and the cat coins. Look over here, William. Do, Do I not... get a lifeline? No, you don't. What do you got, uh, William? Uh, William, look okay, at me. Okay, cat coin. Cat coin is right. Yes. Yeah, cat coins. <laughs> <laughs> and our last one, as William goes through these, we have the garlic coin, nipple silver, and fuzzballs. Fuzzballs coin. Uh, yeah, the uh, fuzzballs. Nipple silver. Nipple silver and garlic coin. I think one of them that sounds ridiculous is I'm gonna go with nipple whatever. Nipple silver? Nipple silver. I love it, your losing streak continues. <laughs> it's the garlic coin is uh, out there. So if you wanna use any of these for your up and coming coins, you can <laughs> grab one of them because I think fuzzballs and nipple silver would make a good coin. William Quigley, now you're over at Wax. What's happening over at Wax? Uh, we uh, just began the token swap. So we had an Ethereum ERC-20 token for the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. And now we are retiring that and rolling out the blockchain, the Wax blockchain token. I know that sounds exciting to you, but what's that mean for the rest of the world? Well, what it means is, uh, look, it means uh, we put a lot of work into this. Thing. And it's legitimized. Uh, uh, it's... Uh, it is the only blockchain in the world that now has what I would call a service layer. So basically, everyone's built blockchains and they're fine, but nobody can use them because to use them, you need these browsers called like Scatter and MetaMask. And, you know, I, I, I like the guys who built those things, but they're, they're not ready for prime time. They're very difficult to use. So uh, we have basically created a ton of services that make it possible for people to use their phone to create an account. Uh, you don't have to have the private key publicly. Uh, you can send a crypto to a person with their phone number as an SMS, oh, that's great. which is super cool, right? So you can trade via SMS. And uh, you can create your own marketplace, like an Opskins, for buying, uh, allowing people to buy and sell virtual items with all of the backend security and all that that we spent 70 million bucks on as a widget. So you won't see people just playing CSGO and utilizing it. It's going to be across the board. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, so it's 
What we did is we looked at it, because we've been doing this for a long time, and we said, what are the biggest impediments to blockchain going mass market? These blockchain games like CryptoKitties, no one plays those, uh, because they're too hard. It's too hard to actually acquire a crypto, right? I mean, something as simple when somebody says to me, hey, can you send me some wax? So, uh, so uh, all right, so first what you need to do is you gotta go to Coinbase, yeah, and then you gotta KYC, and you gotta get BTC, and you gotta go to an exchange. It's impossible. So uh, what we, our, 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 uh, our standard was, you, uh, if you know how to send an emoji, if you know how to download an app, you're gonna be able to trade crypto. So that's, that's what we built for the last 18 months. That's the WAX service layer, powered by the WAX blockchain, which is, you know, fast and does all the other stuff. And um, that will be, um, usable in beginning of September uh, when uh, we're doing the token swap now. So everybody's going to turn in their token. Who's and got then wax tokens here? Anyone? Yeah, look at there you go. Oh, good, good. Do that. So, so, and then for, if you're holding wax, which is great, and you're holding wax during the token swap, uh, your tokens will double in in, in number. So if you have a hundred, uh, let's say you have a thousand tokens, uh, in a, in three years you'll have two thousand tokens. Provided you keep the tokens staked, if everybody knows what that means. So you keep them staked. When we send them to you, they're staked. And every day, we give you um, uh, one over three years, which is like one over 1,000 days worth of wax, such that at the end of three years, 1,000 days, you'll have doubled your wax holdings. If you unstake your tokens, which you're totally free to do, and sell them, all of those future tokens you were going to get, get burned. And the reason that's good is if you keep your tokens staked and everybody else unstakes their tokens, your percentage ownership of WAX go up. goes up. And of the 1.8, are the 3.7 billion WAX tokens, 1.8 billion of those are subject to being burned this way. So half of all the tokens can be burned if people unstake. So I think it's great. If you're using it, you know, you're doing the stuff in the virtual trading world like we do, uh, you'll double your, and that's, you know, 33% return per year. Pretty damn good. Better than money market rates. It really is. William Quigley from Wax, Ken Rakowski, CoinDMZ episode 32. Thank you. Thanks a lot, everyone. Oh,